When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts. Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. This is a special episode of Cover 2 Broncos. We are, as Von Miller said, this is a playoff game. Uh, so to prepare for the playoff game, I have reached out to Tim Jenkins. You guys know him as the founder and coach at Jenkins Elite. He is a former NFL quarterback. If you do not already know about All Things QB, it is on YouTube. Go check out All Things QB. Uh, but yeah, I have Tim Jenkins here. We are going to break down Broncos Ravens. I'm pumped up, man. This is going to be fun. And hopefully uh, get everybody ready for what they're going to see on Sunday. And one of the things, and again, kind of like as a, an early lead, lead into it is this Ravens team, they have a, they have some injuries, the Broncos too, like both, like, I think injuries are going to be kind of hanging over this matchup, but I mean, this is one of the teams that I would expect to probably be hanging around at the end, as long as they don't get derailed. Yeah. I think when, when you watch this Ravens team <laughs> I mean, really both sides of the ball, but specifically when you watch their defense, you just get this feeling where it's like they're going to bail even if they're not fully healthy on the offensive side or even if Lamar has to sit a couple weeks, right, because he gets banged up. Like they're going to bail them out of some games. They're just the way that they get after the quarterback and the way that they really mess with your eye placement as a quarterback, you have to imagine they're going to be one of the last teams standing. I also think, you know, the way they beat the Chiefs, I think, you know, as much as I like the jokes, too, of, hey, you know, the Chiefs are one and two and at the bottom of the division, we all know it's inevitable, right? They're going to become a good football team 
And whether they win the division or get in the wild card, like they're going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs. They're going to be a tough out, just like New England was for all those years. So I think anytime you go and beat them the way that they did, it's just a good sign for your football team. Definitely. And, and to your point on that, kind of the last thing before we really start to dive in, I'm glad you mentioned that with the Chiefs too, because uh, mathematically, and again, I do this all the time, I look at the playoff odds. I know we're really early in the season. But according to Football Outsiders, who does the the Football Outsiders playoff odds prediction or whatever, they do a playoff report. Um, they look at this, the NFL season. They run a simulation using like their metrics based on you know the record and then kind of pushing forward. They simulate it 50,000 times. The fact that the Broncos have that 3-0 kind of buffer. I, yeah. And I know, you know, we all talk about, you know, the Broncos haven't beaten anybody yet. But the fact that they have those three wins means that according to those playoff odd reports, they make the playoffs like 77% of the time. And they actually right now they're favored to win the AFC West. I don't know if I would necessarily say as of right now that I think they're better than the chiefs, but at the end of the day, the fact that they have those three wins when the chiefs don't could mean a big deal. Cause if, if you're hosting the chiefs in mile high as compared to going to arrowhead, that could make a huge deal at the end. And again, that's one of the reasons why this game is so important. Yeah, I think anytime you start 3-0, and right, the math is in your favor. Yeah. I also think that now it just gets to a point where it's like you just you split with the Chiefs and yeah. all of a sudden you're in really good shape. Or you split with the Raiders or you split with the Chargers, right? There, there's now ways that it's like it doesn't really – as long as you split your division, really, you go 3-3 three and three in division and then now all of a sudden you're 6-3 and three and then you factor in, hey, you know, there's some other who I would say are, are, are wins on the schedule, right? There's a lot of stuff that all of a sudden plays to your and, – and then more to your point, this year it's way more important. Like last year, home field didn't really matter because you could yeah. communicate no matter what. Now that, you know, hey, everything's getting rolled out and people are somewhat getting back to normal, you're, you're getting the fans in the stands again, and that's a huge deal as an offense. Yeah, it is. Like we forget that Aaron Rodgers went and just beat the heck out of – I want to say it was Minnesota maybe early in the season on the road – and he's just talking yep. at the five-yard line to his receiver. Like, not even yelling, just talking to him. Like, when you have a really good quarterback under center, playing on the road is so much harder than at home because you want to put so much on their shoulders and let them change at the line. Well, shoot, by the time you break the huddle, there's not a lot that you can say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know it on a much lesser scale because I only play preseason, but I tell you what, man, when we went up and played Montana State and I was in college – there's like 30,000 people there, but Montana state and their cowbell, cowbell, they get after you. Yep. And it's, you know, you're screaming and your Z can barely hear you. So it's like, now you talk about 70,000 in a playoff atmosphere at mile high or arrowhead. It's just completely different. So I do think, you know, this year, especially now that everything's back to normal or somewhat back to normal, you know, capacity wise, yeah. it just makes it so much harder as a quarterback. Agreed. And so that like, to me, more because again, if the Broncos and again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but if the Broncos lose this game, I'm not going to suddenly be like, oh, they're screwed. Like, you know, they're, yep. but like this game is huge for playoff implications. And I know it's week four, but this is one of those games because the Ravens beat the Chiefs, we're going to probably look back on this game later this year and be like, if the Broncos won, they're in really good shape if they handle their business in division. If they lose and they have trouble in division, it could hurt. So, yep. um, so I'm going to give you the choice because I, I kind of want to look at both sides of it. Would you rather look at the Broncos offense first against the Ravens defense, or would we, we like to kind of dig into the Ravens versus the Broncos defense? 
I think we could go their defense first. We could okay. talk about how crazy it is because it is a uh, it's it an absolute it's absolute insanity when you study it. <laughs> and and for our listeners, if you don't already know this, uh, it looks like Graham Glasgow has already been ruled out for the game. So Natani Mute will play at right guard. Uh, and again, like knowing what we know about Wink Martindale, that is kind of a concern to me because Natani Mute is making his third start. Um, so like the pressure schemes from Wink Martindale are going to probably be pretty intense for him. Yeah, so I think the one thing is just what we were talking about, home and away, at least we're home. Yeah. So the benefit of Teddy being able to walk to the line and help sort some of this out is going to help. The biggest thing that the Broncos need to keep in mind is you have to – you like the Mannings keep saying it on that Manning cast, and I love what they're saying, but you got to go first down, second down, first down. The If you get into third down, even third and short, these guys don't care. Like even if you're third and four – and you think, okay, I've stayed on schedule. They're still going to make this thing look like they're bringing four guys from the right side. And then they're going to bail out and blitz their slot from yeah. the number two receiver. Like they did that against the Lions. And I'm sitting there like, there is nothing pre-snap that alerts me to thinking it's coming from the left side. There's only two guys on the left side. And there's eight on the right side, right? I guess there's three because they have their DN. But it's like, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this unfold and I'm like, there's no way that you get there. So I've been talking, and this is something that I think will be interesting for your for the listeners. I've been talking a lot about backside. We call them breakoffs. So the way an offense is built is you have hots to the front side. So let's say my front side is right, and I have, hey, we would call it Q. So I'd say, hey, deuce, deuce, meaning we're hot, we're, we're hot to the front side off of these two guys. If only one comes, we're good. But if both come, we're hot. That means the guy adjusts his route. So if, let's say he's running a post, boom, he runs a two-yard sit. What you also do against these pressure teams is you go, hey, deuce, deuce, and you let your frontside guy know, but you look backside and you say, you know, hey, Tim, right, if you're, you're playing with Tim Patrick, hey, Tim, break off a of 43, meaning if 43 comes weak away from our protection, you still break off. So you essentially double hot yourself. We have, we call it hots and breakoffs. Sites would be like, Hey, if I want to go off a corner or a free safety, but because these are technically box players being the nickel and these backers, that's when you really want to have your hots and your backside breakoff style. Then you'll see the communication process against the Ravens crank up. The Raiders did it a ton mm -hmm. where you saw car, not only point the front side, but also alert to a breakoff backside. Peyton Manning did it a bunch against the Ravens. Like, it's a really critical thing to add to your offense. And I'm excited to see if, well, one, I'm excited to see if Shermer deems, hey, we need to do it, or if they're just going to try to slide an account for the backside. But if you can, you want to try to keep these protections the way your line can read it too. So to me, it's, you know, it's something that not a lot of people even know exist within an offense, but it's going to be critical if Teddy can not only, hey, clearly communicate, we're hot off of these guys, but also alert backside you know, breakoffs and breakoffs. Usually you see them out of two by two or empty sets. Um, but it's something that they're going to have to be aware of because it's really going to help account for some of these exotic pressures that you, you really have no idea where they're coming from. One question I have for you with this. And again, for our listeners, uh, simulated pressures are kind of a big part of what the Ravens do. And that's why, like, if you actually look at the numbers for like how often teams are blitzing, the Ravens blitz a lot, but they don't blitz the most in the league. But what they do is they present a look like they're going to blitz a ton. And then a lot of times what they do is the guys that look like they're coming, maybe the D end or the edge player will drop. And uh, yep. again, I, and I've talked about this earlier this week with, uh, with Spencer Schultz, 
Tyus Bowser is probably the best coverage edge player in the league, and they move him around, they drop him a ton. Um, but he looks like he's going to be rushing over center, or he looks like he's rushing the three technique, or like right over the, you know, as a three technique. Um, but then he'll all of a sudden he'll drop. Um, how does that impact if you're doing a hot or if you're doing a breakoff? Like, does it does it hurt it? So it, the sim pressures and the hot and the hot and uh, like breakoff and sight world don't matter. Okay. With the exception of then you're throwing, you know, and this is why sim pressures were invented is because they're like, hey man, we're gonna make you throw hot, but we're only bringing four or we're only bringing five, which it is a nightmare, right? You want to throw hot when it's like five plus. Yeah. So. This is where the sim pressures got super popular. And I was talking with the blitzology guy about it on Twitter. Cause I'm like, dude, fun. yeah. I'm like, so because he was asking me, I'm like, yeah, we would just throw hot. He's like, man, that's tough. Cause they're only bringing three. I'm like, you're telling me, <laughs> right. I've thrown hot into only a three before as the quarterback. And you watch your guy get rocked and you say, okay, I guess they got us there. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's, there's certain things that you can start to pick up right on film of like, okay, like double A gap bluff right now is super, it's a real like popular look. You bluff double A, you make everyone account for it with a squeeze and then you bail out. Well, so many teams have started bailing out that now these guards are getting really good at, okay, he bailed and then reading back. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's always the like, you know, hey, the push and pull and like the sim pressures, they suck because you end up throwing hot regardless or a backside break off. You wouldn't throw break off because that's actually off the pressure. Yeah. But you would sometimes get forced into a hot. And I, I think the most important thing when you're a coordinator and you're going to face it is not trying to make it perfect is to say, listen, we're going to throw hot into some sim pressures. You know, hey, Teddy, be aware that you'll get a dropper. And what you'll see the Broncos do is normally the hot adjustment is like a two yard sit. I guarantee they're going to two yards and break out because then you avoid the dropper. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though this corner might roll down and rock him, so be it. Right. At least we're not throwing the pick off the spot dropper. So that'll be the adjustment from the hot perspective. But just like, you know, every coach knows the sim pressures and everything else are awesome. But you heat us up enough like we're going to pick you and we're going to score. Right. And that's where it's like, you know, I always say a D coordinator is it's kind of like dating. Right. Like. I'm a big believer in being yourself right away because she's either she's gonna figure it out on date one or date eight. You might as well let her figure it out. And if you can just be yourself right away against pressure, like even the Ravens, for as much as they their whole history have been pressure, mm-hmm. it's weird when they play Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, they don't pressure as much because yep. they know those dudes are gonna beat them. And so I think if if I'm Teddy Bridgewater and I'm Coach Shermer, I'm thinking to myself, Hey man, let's have a couple of these rub plays. The Jets ran a couple of beautiful ones on their week two tape that I hope Shermer steals. But if if they run some rubs where it's all of a sudden, hey, Tim Patrick pops free and scores, you start to back off a little bit as a defense. Because as much as it's like, hey, it's fun to force them to throw hot and maybe we luck into one, if all of a sudden it's 14 nothing, like your natural instinct is, okay, we need to play coverage here. Yeah. And that's one of those things too, that I think it's a misnomer for a lot of fans that the Ravens, because they blitz, they're just trying to like light you up at quarterback. What they're trying to do is they're trying to pressure the quarterback into making mistakes. Yeah. And that's one of those that I like, the more I've thought about and the more I've actually, you know, gone back over what Bridgewater's done, I feel pretty confident that he'll be able to handle it. Uh, Am I, am I sipping the Kool-Aid or is that based on what I've seen? It seems like he could. 
Yeah, I think he's done a good job. The, the thing that stinks is we haven't really gotten a, a bunch of really good pressure looks. You yeah. know, it's not like we have teams that are like dialing up exotics. Mm-hmm. What I'll say, though, is like to me, it's like if you think about the grand scheme of the quarterback competition that unfolded and all these other things, these are kind of the games where it's like you feel like, OK, I totally get Teddy. Right. Like yeah. like and, it, and, it, and again, it's not even a knock against Drew. It's kind of a knock against young guys in the league. Like it's hard to figure the stuff out. Oh, yeah. So the fact that we've got a guy who's been in the league for a long time, it's going to have really help under center. And then you talk about what you were saying with injuries, the clear communication becomes so important that it's like, man, you get why, like, you want a veteran under center. It's why, like, you know, as much as I, like, hate some of the stuff they're doing in Chicago, it's why you kind of get it, right? Yep. You sit there and you go, okay, I get it, right? Like, it's it's easier to communicate with Andy Dalton than Andy Dalton point the right people. Like, sure. But, Teddy, I just think I, I I'm on your team. I think he's – I think he's going to be the best in terms of diagnosing it. My only worry with Teddy is, he, I mean, he has been holding the ball. Yes. He just, and and I think it's from a confidence standpoint, I kind of like it. I think he's just navigating the pocket so efficiently. You know, like Brady holds the ball too. Let's not act like, you know, Brady in New England, sure, would throw to his back a bunch, but dude hold it, held on to the football at times. So to me, it's like, but it was because he was confident in it, the way he navigated the pocket. So I think, that would be my only worry. I think, of course, Teddy will take some sacks this week, probably more than he's taken previous weeks. But I also think, man, if Teddy showed us anything, it's that when he gets a premier look, regardless of down and distance even sometimes, he's it. driving the football. And if if I'm going to play the Ravens, what I want is a guy who's back there hunting under center, and Teddy's doing it. So to me, it's like there's so much exciting stuff. And I, you know, I tweeted out a clip. It felt like, you know, I'm sure the stats were different, but it felt like to me when I'm watching the tape, Every single time the Lions got in a 12, it was like they spun to cover one. Yep. And I'm just sitting there like, good Lord, because we've hit people with Samurai, Dover. I had to invent a new one, call it Chili Pepper. The stuff is insane, what Shermer's doing to attack the single high. I think he's sitting there like, okay, here we go. This is going to be the game where Teddy completes 50% of his balls, but he throws for 300 yards. And that's one of those things, too, that when – because I've gone over, you know, what the Ravens were doing defensively as much as I could for each game. The Ravens against the Chiefs look a lot different. Obviously, you know, for for our listeners, I think everybody knows why um, with Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. But they typically want to be in single high. Um, yep. And then they'll rotate – some. like, there's times where they'll be in single high and they'll rotate the other safety back and bring somebody up. So they'll try and disguise it and they'll try and trap you with it. But they, that's what they actually want to do. They want to have one free safety and then the two corners. They play a lot of cover three. They Well, they run less cover three in league average, but they run a lot of cover one. They run a lot of six, more six than yeah. average, and they will run three. Um, and again, you just mentioned 12, and I want to kind of touch on this a little bit because I want to get your thoughts on it. The Broncos, even before uh, Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler were hurt, you and I discussed this in the preseason, yeah. they were kind of making a concentrated effort to run more heavy personnel with two tight ends or three tight ends. And then all of a sudden, Jerry Judy got hurt in the Giants game. Basically, after Judy got hurt in that game, the Broncos went essentially 50, 50, 12, and 11. So they were not running 11 personnel as much. And now that Hamler's hurt, as of right now, the Broncos' third receiver is either David Moore, who signed this week, Deontay Spencer, who, and again, you probably are more optimistic about it than I am. I don't mean to be a hater, but he's 163 pounds, and there's, there's limits to what you can do with him. Yeah. I think the thing to like about Deontay Spencer is he can present some of the similar feelings in a D coordinator that KJ Hamler, yes. which is like, okay, because like Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, like 
you know, and I, I sound like a Cortland Sutton hater lately, but it's like they're, they're just not they're not they're not the field guys. And yeah. and like to be honest, like right now, if I'm a quarterback, I'm throwing 50-50 to Timmy. It's just like where I'm at right now watching the tape. I'm not saying that Corlin won't do it again. I'm not saying they won't get to who he was. He just like we've thrown a lot to him and he hasn't won. And again, there's there's always reasons, right? Every play is nuanced, but you also got to go get the ball. So to me, it's like Tim Patrick. The thing about Deontay Spencer is I do think he can push the field vertically. The one thing that I'll be honest about is when I was watching the tape, (laughs) either we were calling some plays that he hadn't run before or he's just out there busting routes. No, I agree with you. I know it it was a concern to me because David Moore, and I I wanted to ask you this, David Moore having come from the Gruden offense, there's obviously going to be similarities because Gruden and Shermer both run like a West Coast system. But there's still, there's a, there, there's like six degrees of nuance that yeah. David Moore is not going to have having jumped into it this week. Yeah. And that's what's so, that's what's so hard. You'll see, like, he'll probably be comfortable with 10 to 15, like really comfortable with 10 to 15 plays. And that'll be his package. And then, which helps because then you could limit what you have to put on Spencer. Right. And you yeah. could say, Hey, out of 11 personnel, here's your 15. Here's your 15. Like, let's be perfect with these and instead of hey trying to teach them both all 30 yeah so i think that is helpful you know what i will say is like for every every single team runs the same concepts yeah by and large with that being said even though it's the same concept hearing it one way and then now a new way is just it's so much harder than people you know i played in i played so short story when i was in college i played in the west coast offense but it was west coast with two jet three jet you know four jet okay you know hey 60 pro and then i got to st louis which was verbiage scat right mid right and it's like even though scat right or even though ace right is two jet like that's still to to this day you have to think and translate it i have to think and translate it so it's not like, you know, and, and like, listen, I've been doing football every single day my entire life for the last eight years, and I still have to think about it. So it's not like it's something that then you jump over and it's super easy to re, you know, hey, I'm going to all of a sudden recall it. So I think it's, you know, it's way harder than we think. The route itself will be no change. Yeah. It's just making sure he's running the right one and attacking the right point on the defense for the way that Shermer wants it. So that's the that's the bigger worry, I think. So with that, and again, this is kind of just a random thought on that. So with that, then if like David Moore is on the field, they probably aren't going to ask him to make a lot of adjustments. It's going to be yeah. what you're running is what you're running. And then everybody yeah. else will kind of adjust to him. And and honestly, you know, this is something that I'd be pretty, pretty honest about. And, and, you know, Shermer could disagree, but I, I think we run way less read routes than the rest of the NFL. I think we run very specific times where we're reading the play out. Um, but it's nowhere near what some of these teams are getting asked to do. Like the Cardinals, they're reading out like every freaking play. Yeah. Like, you know, but it's also, that's Cliff's mindset. It's more of a college mindset where Shermer's more like, no, we're going to, our scheme, like you can't cover Dover, right? Mm -hmm. The deep over with the post and the shallow, it's literally impossible to cover. Like D coordinators right now are listening to this going, not true. I'll spin my will back this way bring my corner and then my strong safety they'll sort through it and jump down it's like no he won't because we're running play action and your guy's going to take three steps up and then just sprint back because he's 
paranoid to get beat by the deep over. So it's like, you know, I mean, we have the same things on offense where it's like there's certain looks you're not going to block. You just got to kind of get over it. But I think that's where Shermer comes from is like our plays are so sound. As long as we protect and read it out, we're fine. We don't have to read it out. So I do think, you know, I don't think the Broncos do that many option routes to begin with. But I do think if we see them, they probably, like you're saying, they'll be with they'll be with Spencer and not more. Makes sense. Um, so as far, and we touched on Dover a little bit, we've mentioned Samurai and I know that that was a big part of when you're talking about, uh, well, first of all, you've mentioned it before on all things QB about Teddy Bridgewater. So I want, I want to touch there. And again, guys, if you have not checked those out, go check them out. But on Twitter this week, you actually mentioned that you expected the Broncos to try and dial that up against the Ravens, uh, in their cover one look. And you just mentioned it now, just like as a pared down for our listeners, like what, what? is samurai i guess yeah so all these plays think of them as ladder concepts meaning like hey we're we're gonna read it from the top down so deep to short and everything is about stressing the far the opposite side of the field so like when we're running you know let's just say so just simple hey our x receivers on the left and our z is on the right side of the field if i call z samurai we're trying to attack the left side of the field with a right side of the formation player. So what makes it so hard is even in quarters and all this new Vic Fangio cover six stuff, these guys are, you know, they're really meant to read same side. Yep. Even safeties are meant to lean towards deepest deep or deepest threat. So when you then read same side and two guys run you off or one guy runs you off and someone comes from all the way across the formation it's just impossible. The guy, the far side corner has to run with them and you just can't run with somebody 53 and a third, right? It's just like, or 52 or whatever. You just can't do it. So to me, it's like, that's where these plays are so successful. And Samurai, right, is the the deep post from the X with the deep over from the Z. Yep. Uh, the, what, the other one off that is Dover, which is deep post from the X, deep over from the Z, and then like a shallow from the Y or or whoever. You can interchange it. You can tag whoever you want. And then the one that we've called Chili Pepper now because it's a brand new play I've never seen before is if you have two receivers both running post and then you have the deep over and the shallow from the other side. So they're just creating mismatches where they're making you run across the field. And this play started with the New Orleans Saints when you weren't when you stopped being able to reroute people really and hit them over the middle once they st- eliminated hey we're going to kill you over the middle and we're going to reroute you now coaches are like okay i'm going to run this guy across the field because unless I know the pass because unless the pass rush gets get there rerouted. he's going to be yep. open yeah and that's where i think we've seen that's where you know this is like a whole it's a bigger discussion but it's why i think we've seen the last of true lockdown corners like there's no more Revis Island. Darrell Revis never had to run with KJ Hamler across the field. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because Cromarty or whoever was waiting inside to bury somebody. Mm-hmm. Like those things just didn't exist. So you now all of a sudden had to cover a route tree that really existed on the width of the numbers. Like you ran digs every once in a while, but you knew I'm going to throw this thing and John Lynch is going to kill my guy, right? Like that was the reality of a of throwing a dig. So that's where all these things started. And now it's just so hard to spin your coverage to account for it. And and I think the Ravens, if they really do decide to play single high cover one, I just think you can't match up. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It's hard to match up with these guys. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, and, that, and again, we'll probably get here, but that's also one of the reasons why when people on Twitter and like, you know, in general are getting mad about the Broncos giving up deep overs, I'm yeah. always kind of like, the, the thing I was thinking about is like, well, look at who the pass rushers are, because that's actually the thing that probably yeah. is the biggest tell is if Bob Miller is sitting and they get us with a deep over, there's right now, there's not a whole lot you can do about it because Bradley Chubb's hurt. Yeah, um, and that was, you know, the thing with uh, the, the thing with Sertan the first week. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you know, like, I'm like, listen, you know, regardless if you like to pick or not, it doesn't matter who it is. Like, that's what, you know, I, I, I tried to say that on Twitter was it's like, you know, if you want to, hey, if you want to stop the deep over, you get after the, you get after the passer. You don't, you don't stop deep over with anything else. I mean, it doesn't matter the level. Like, I always joke about Turkey Bowl at the Jenkins house, but legitimately you could put my mom on the deep over and you can put my uncle Paul who played pro baseball and covering her. It doesn't matter. It's running across the field, right? Like it's just like, it's just the nature of the beast. That's a, see how long they count. They, yeah, they no count. doubt. Dale, yeah. I, I, I got to give Dale Jenkins credit though. She'd get across the formation, you know? <laughs> uh, one, one thing I wanted to touch on too, beyond the deep overs, with the Ravens running as much cover six as they do, and the fact that the Broncos also run a lot of cover six, what really stands out to you is kind of like ideal ways to attack it. Um, because like there, I mean, and again, for those listening, if you guys don't know what cover six is, it's quarter to, uh, quarters to one side, cover yeah. two to the other. Um, you'll also hear people talk about, and again, maybe I'm wrong, so tell me if I'm wrong. My understanding has always been like uh, quarter quarter half is the same thing. It's still co- it's still cover six. Yeah. It's all the same. So yeah. cover six, it, quarter, quarter, half, or two to one side, four to the other. We tag it as cover six means your cover two side is to the strength of the formation. And then we call six weak. Hey, cover two is to the weak, which is to the pass strength technically and run strength. So usually you see it as, you know, a, a lot of teams are inverting nowadays. They don't really care, mm-hmm. um, like whether it's six or six weeks. But to me, the key to attacking – those kind of teams is not being afraid as weird as it is to run mirrored concepts. Okay. Because if I say, okay, Hey, we're going to run both bench, which is where both of the outside guys run a like bench, a corner route and the slot guys run flats. Yep. What you then is you eliminate the notion that they play quarters to your two beater side and you know, Hey, I've got two, two beaters. Here we go. Set out my 20, my 20, hot, hot, hot. Okay. I see where they're at. I got my two side to this. Boom. I'm going here. So I always say, you know, if you're going against a cover six team, I'm never afraid to run mirrored quarters beaters or cover two beaters. I also still love any any full field progression that it's like I have, you know, three by one or whatever with a back. We call them big alerts, but where I can work my backside. So if I get that quarter quarter to the three to the single receiver side, then I can work my one on one. Boom, if they roll me and kick me two, now I've got, you know, Flutie, unfortunately, the play that KJ got hurt on, but or something like that to the quarter side. So to me, I think those are the those are the kind of plays that I like to see. Because a lot of coaches nowadays are afraid to go mirrored concepts. And I'm with them. I think mirrored concepts 
really stink if you're playing a single high and two high team. But when you know they're going to be in a cover six, which is such a hybrid coverage, I think you've got to have mirrored concepts. Gotcha. And one thing to that that is kind of worth mentioning is at least up to this point, the Ravens have not run a lot of cover two. Uh, and they do not, they run less cover four than league average as of this, yeah. you know, as of this point. And again, one thing that's like kind of like the big misnomer with all this guys, if you're hearing all that, there's only three weeks of data as of now. Yeah. So, and then the chiefs are a part of it. So like some of this might be influenced by it, but it looks like when the Ravens show what looks like cover six, they're probably going to be in cover six or quarters. Yeah. They're not going to be in cover two. Um, so to your point, I do think that that makes a lot of sense then. Um, Kind of as far as the other part of this is the matchup part of it, obviously, like beyond the actual scheme. Is there anyone that kind of jumps out at you as like ideal? You mentioned Tim Patrick, and I and I agree with you, honestly. I, I really completely healthy Cortland Sutton, I, I would argue with you. I don't yeah. know if Cortland Sutton is back to 2019 Cortland Sutton yet. That's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not like running for the hills about that. But yeah. as of right now, I would say Tim Patrick is probably the reliable wide receiver one. Um, and honestly, now that Hamler and Judy are out for now, I kind of think that we're sleep, like not you, but I think we as a fan base are kind of sleeping on what Noah fan Albert O are going to be able to do, Yeah. especially th like, th I think this week, uh, one guy that I've noticed Malik Harrison for the Ravens, he's 40. I want to say he's 40. Yep. He's bad. Like he's yeah. a, he's a mark in coverage. Yep. And so much so that last week against Detroit, it looked like they were trying to take him off the field. For Josh Bynes, who's 56, they uh, signed him from their practice squad the week prior. Uh, Malik Harrison only played, I want to say he only played 27 snaps, and then uh, Josh Bynes played 17. So, like, that's yeah. something that might matter, but I do think that whoever that other linebacker is next to Patrick Queen could be a mark for whoever they're playing in the middle. I, like, listen, my, my biggest thing when I look at it from a matchup perspective is formation-driven. Like, I would love... I would love to see 12 personnel, but empty. Like we saw it against the Jags and it wasn't 12. It was 13 personnel empty. Yep. And that was the one that Noah Fant scored on where it was just a stick route. And he goes and scores, but I would love to see that. And I'd love to see like, you're talking about like, Hey, there's a lot of plays that you can get in and out of at the line of scrimmage and empty where it's like, I can go ahead and pick on who I'm going to pick on. Yep. So if it's like, okay, Hey, they're trying to hide this guy. Cool. We get up. We're in three by two empty. We're in 12 personnel, right? We put Melvin Gordon all the way outside, gobble up their best defender if it's a zone player, right? Ta-da, by 20, by 20, hot, hot, hot. Look at it. Okay, this time they put him in the curl flat. So, boom, we're going to run the, you know, the the Hank double sit, and we're going to force him to pick. Or we're going to come back and we're going to run, you know, hey, okay, we'll motion Melvin back in the backfield. We'll put him on that swing. And, like, Teddy's been doing a great job using his eyes to get open up the curl. So, I think there's a lot of stuff that – Starting an empty or, you know, getting into heavier personnel, but playing extended, mm -hmm. you can, you can really dictate some terms to this Ravens off a defense. Now I like getting into 12 and running play action and run action and all that stuff. I dislike getting into 12 and getting into flank and condensed for straight drop back. Agreed. So I, I'm with you. And to me, it's like, you know, even the clip where it's like, man, they have like eight guys to the left and two here. The lines are in 12 and if they're in a condensed, they're in three by one, but it's condensed. So it helps them. If that guy's just extended by the numbers, all of a sudden, at least two of them are more clear. And that's the things that I think we take for granted is it's like, man, there's certain things that you can just do little things formationally. And then to me, my challenge, like if I was talking to the Lions coordinator, 
and they brought me on as a consultant. I, my challenge, my like, you know, what is it? The so Socrates method or whatever, Socrat whatever. Yeah. My challenge, my question to him would be, well, what can, what is that tight end doing from condensed that my back to his side can't do? Makes right. Sense. So it's like, okay, well now for an empty pro anyways, just put him out and have the back run the burst and replace the shallow. Like there's ways to do things just a little bit smarter when you're facing exotic pressures. And I don't even think it's specifically only this Ravens team. I think the Raiders are going to get into some exotic Agreed. stuff. I think the Chiefs do it. I think down the line, Tampa does some exotic stuff every once in a while from a pressure standpoint. So to me, it's like these are just things that we want to have in our tool belt as a quarterback and an offense for the future. So to me, it's like let's plan it now. Let's do our due diligence. Let's get all this out of the way. So then I can kind of pick and choose it whenever I need it down the stretch. Well, and I would, and to your point, because I, I heard you mention this earlier in the week that like the Broncos shouldn't be playing out of a lot of bunch and a lot of close in sets anyway. And it makes sense. And again, like this is, you know, the pared down dummy version of this, but like when I play Madden and teams are trying to run a lot of like overloads at me, I want to spread it out because I want to yeah. be able to read what they're yeah. actually trying to do in the back end with the coverage, because it's a lot harder to hide a rusher if I have all my receivers out and you, you can't hide them at that point, I'm going to see the safety creeping down. Yep. And, and, and thing, and then if they're going to disguise it now, they're disguising it, but to our advantage is the distance, right? Yeah. The travel distance for the, for the linebacker. So to me, it's like, you know, it's a lot of people think this is a beef I have with just kind of football as a whole. A lot of people think the best way to help a young quarterback is the run game. I disagree. I think the best way to help a young quarterback is an extended box because now, okay, now I had my tight end and, you start to see it better. If you were to take every true freshman starting quarterback in college and give him majority empty and 10 his freshman year and then get to 11 and 12 his sophomore year, he would subconsciously start to recognize that guy wasn't in the box last year, but here's why. Yep. And you start to bring these guys in. You know, it's something that that I don't want to say I have a disagreement with, with the Jets stuff, but I do think it's like you've got a kid who sat and gun at BYU. I agree with you. And you're getting a little heavy on me. To me, it's like spread it out because your own line ain't going to protect anyways. Right. So at least have him, <laughs> at least have him somewhat aware of who's coming after him. Cause it's like the Vaughn Miller clip was so funny. They brought their guy in to chip him. Well, Vaughn lined up outside of him and ran around him. Yep. So it's like, do you think that guy was better in there or should we have extended him? So Zach Wilson had somebody with free access. Like it's like the little things that I just think, you know, we've got to, we got to push. You got to continuously push forward and you can't get, locked in your ways and to, to Shermer's credit so far he to me has been I would say above and beyond in terms of the guys that I've studied so I'm thinking you know I, I you know I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he's earned it yeah now all of a sudden if we flip on the all 22 this week and Teddy's getting lit up and we're in bunch we can go back to not liking him like I was last year but as of right now I think you got to give him credit and think okay he's probably going to make these adjustments but I think, and for listeners, again, like to your point with that, just kind of before we kind of, I think it's fair to be critical of Shermer if he makes a lot of mistakes with this without, because yeah. neither you or I are going to be critical and then turn around next week and say, fire him. It's mm -hmm. just, if he screws up, like, I'm not going to hesitate to say, like, I think you were wrong with this. Yeah. Um, because one of the, and, and you just touched on this with the protections and I want to kind of, I had somebody reach out to me this week. Um who asked, why wouldn't the Broncos just run more max protect? Because mm -hmm. I have had concerns about the Broncos interior line all season so far. 
Um, and that actually the numbers and stuff are actually bearing out that I might be too critical on this because the protections are still kind of holding for the most part, but I'm just seeing the individual matchups and I'm kind of worried at times, yeah. but if, if the Broncos go into a lot of empty or if they go into a lot of spread sets, you are, you are probably putting more on the line to do their part yeah. and you're putting more on Teddy to do his part. What I told them when they asked me about the max protect is I, and, and t- again, tell me if I'm wrong. I said, if you're going to dial up shot plays, max protect makes sense to kind of give them more time for that. But if you're just going into max protect, thinking more bodies are going to help you, all you're really doing is inviting more rushers because smart coordinators, what they do is they see a blocker. And if you start doing it enough, they're just going to send a person that was going to normally cover that guy. Yeah. And you'll see a lot of teams that do what's called green dog, which is where their guy who they're locked on stays in and protects. He just rushes anyways. Um, The other thing I'd say is, you know, Max Protect helps, like you're saying, with shots. Where it doesn't necessarily help is your interior line matchups. Like, those are hard to help. Because unless you're going to say, okay, well, now we're going to pinch our tackles. Well, why? Now you're leaving Noah Fant and Albert O one-on-one on on an end rusher. Like, so it's really hard to help interior guys more so than just they're playing inside, so they naturally get more help anyways. But it is just a hard thing. And, And like you're saying, more bodies don't necessarily help in a drop back pass situation now in run and play action, like you're saying with the shots. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you're going to avoid throwing hot. Yeah. Um, but I do think in terms of just those matchups, you kind of, you know, you more or less kind of have to live with it when they're, when you're talking about the inside, it's also why it's been so popular to play some of these really good rushers at the three tech. Yep. Cause just so much harder to help out. You can't ship them. You can't do that kind of stuff. And I, and I mean, obviously production in the league from, you know, those guys would indicate that it's a, it's a good idea to put them inside sometimes. Yeah. And, and that is the kind of the last part, unless, unless there's something I'm missing that you want to mention, but that's the other part of the interior line matchups that I think guys, we're going to want to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, Natani Muti in the preseason definitely had some issues with longer rushers. Um, Kalias Campbell. And again, I might have the number wrong. I want to say he's six foot seven. Like he's long as hell. Um, yeah. And he's powerful. So he's going to be able to, to be that guy for Natani Mute. And then Dalton Reisner, basically, and again, I love Dalton Reisner. He's probably my favorite guard in the league. But going back to his rookie season, he's had issues with quicker guys. Um, Ed Oliver gave him problems. Uh, At one point when the Broncos played the Packers, they moved to Darius Smith inside because Darius Smith against Dalton Reisner wasn't really fair for uh, Reisner. Um, The the Ravens have players that they're going to try and do that with. Dias Bowser's one of them. They'll use Adafi this way at times. Um, They'll use stunts to get guys inside. So, like, it's going to be on Bridgewater to kind of make that work. And it's also going to be on Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams to pick up what they can when yeah. guys slip through, but adding extra bodies isn't necessarily the answer here. Yeah. But like you're saying with the backs, what you brought up with the backs is critical, you know, looking for work is going to help, but ultimately it's going to be on Teddy to, Hey, slide back or move right or whatever. You know, when those guys lose inside by just a little, it's your job as a quarterback to make them right is what yeah. we call it. Right. Wherever you have to move to, make sure they're, you know, we say, you know, their crack is still facing you, right? You want to move and slide enough to where, you know, you're still playing behind them. So to me, it's like, I, I and I, and I think Teddy's done a great job of that. So to me, it's like, gives me a little bit more confidence, but ultimately, man, like you're talking about, it is hard when you're blocking those guys one-on-one. And if, you know, if a guy comes free, it's, it blows up the whole play, but you know, the Broncos offense has done a pretty decent job at times recovering from an early negative play. 
Before we get on the Ravens, I want to pick your brain just a little bit on the running stuff, just because this has been something on my mind all season so far. The Broncos running game has not been as good as I thought it would be. Um, And they're facing a Ravens team that is very good against the run. So like my fear in this situation is kind of like we're, we're going to see the first week where it's really like Bridgewater's basically thrown into he's carrying the entire offense because if the ground game disappears, it's him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you bring up a great point. I'm also one of those guys that I'm a quarterback guy, right? I'm like, yeah, throw it every down. Yeah. But no, I think in reality, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to be comfortable saying, okay, this week might not be the week that we run for a hundred yards, but Maybe we screen for 60 yards and yeah. we, you know, those would be the things or we run jet sweep or we run, run F around or we do stuff like that. And we, we manufacture some things that will slow down this rush. And I think that's really what, what Sherman has to focus on is not necessarily, Hey, we can off, power, but Hey, we can screen them and we can do this to, to slow them down. That makes sense. And, and, uh, and to that point, uh, I'm I'm a big proponent nest like of the quick game is essentially an ex- extension of the running game anyway, yeah. so that that's one of those reasons why a couple of weeks ago we had somebody bringing up like oh the Broncos aren't being very balanced. I was like, dude, look at look at how how often Bridgewater is just dropping back throwing quick. Like yeah. at that point, like I'm not worried about it. Yeah. The other thing that of this before we get to Ravens that's really worth kind of guys keeping in mind, the Ravens have had a lot of trouble tackling in space against backs. Um, so that could be a big thing with Javante Williams because Javante Williams has elite contact balance anyway. Him against Patrick Queen on the second level is probably going to help the Broncos. Yep. Uh, but the other side of this is obviously Lamar Jackson. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's like even if the Broncos do everything right on offense, if they if the defense doesn't do its part, it's still going to be a boat race. Uh, I I mean, I... The Ravens' offense is interesting to me in a lot of ways because, first of all, I think Lamar Jackson's a better passer than, like, you know, the you know this too. Like, the, the overall yeah. narrative that Lamar Jackson can't pass, I don't think that's true. I think yeah. there are definitely issues with Lamar Jackson. So, like, there's nuance to this that if we kind of dig beneath the, the narrative part of it, and you touched on, the, on this in your video that I think is really good, there are times that Jackson's legs are almost like a trap in my mind yeah. in that he gets impatient. He doesn't necessarily trust the quick game part of, like, his reads. And so he'll bail or there are times somebody's getting open or about to flash open, but he doesn't wait for it because he starts to feel even a little bit of pressure and he'll bail because he knows he can run for 10 yards. And when that happens, like from a Broncos standpoint, if you can get a hit on uh, a hit on Jackson during that, it's kind of a win. Yeah. As long as he doesn't score on it. Yeah. So this is something that's kind of, cause I've been hearing a lot of people say, you know, pass rush integrity and not rushing past the quarterback this week is critical. I'm almost watching this film and I'm thinking to myself, just get after him. Like literally, I would almost turn my guys free because what I noticed, the the only, I want to say, I don't want to say weakness, but the only thing that I notice is the second that he moves, eyes are down. Yep. It's not a moving to throw. There's a, like, you can tell when he's in the pocket and he wants to step up to throw and you can tell when it's like, I feel pressure. And if you can get pressure on him and the eyes go down, like he missed a lot of open third down guys. Yeah. Now, granted, he converted the 50% of them. But there were also times that he didn't, and it was like the the throw would have been the better thing. So to me, it's like, man, I almost want to get pressure on him 
And then I almost want to make him sort some of these coverages out. And I think the Broncos are already going to do that. The, when I watched the Broncos versus the Jets, and I watched it to evaluate Wilson, they are so multiple in when they do two and when they do four. Yeah. And it's just like mind-boggling to me. Now, I think there are some tells where it's like, okay, you can start to feel <laughs> this guy rolling down. But I do think, by and large, they're really good at disguising it. And I think they also are really good at showing six and snapping to cover one, which is yes. a way harder look than just going quarters to cover six or, or two or whatever. So I do think they do a really good job with that. So to me, it's like you want to – I would almost turn Vaughn Miller and those guys up front free in terms of I don't care if you run past the quarterback. And then I would trust the back end – on what they've been doing all year. I don't think there's a new coverage that needs to go in. I mean, the reality is, is this Lions game shouldn't have been close, right? Hollywood Brown dropped two touchdowns, maybe three. Lamar Jackson missed two or three manufactured touchdowns scheme-wise. Like, it easily could have been a 40-point game, right? So to me, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want Broncos fans to get too excited about that score and think, oh, they barely beat the Lions. It wasn't really like that. You know, and then ultimately at the end of the day, you got to say, you know, it's fourth and 18, the kid converted it, and then they kicked the 66 yard field goal. This team knows how to win ball games, right? So it's like, it's a little scarier to me, um, the Lions tape when you actually turn it on. And the narrative about Lamar, like my my issue with like Lamar misses throws, but but like, unless we're talking about the, uh, the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL, everybody misses throws. Yep. Teddy misses throws, Lamar does. Yep. You know, like guys miss throws where I think Lamar is coming along. And this is what I don't like about like when people just start pushing a narrative, like he's getting better as a passer. I, I think he's a good passer already. I think where he's getting better is his eye placement and specifically manipulation within the offense. Like it's so, you know, just throwing your eyes to the right doesn't do anything. It does something when it's like, I'm pushing the safety out to a corner route to then hit a post behind it. Like, mm -hmm. Those are the things that Lamar, whereas before it was like he's just putting his eyes right and he's got like a go, nobody cares. Now it's like, man, he's getting you to buy the shallow and he's going to hit the deep over. He's doing stuff that that upper echelon of quarterback does with his eyes. You know, Teddy does it. And that's something that I get really excited about watching the kids tape. And, and that's the step I think he's taking that you don't necessarily get on, on Sunday night football when you hear he's getting better as a passer. <laughs> No, I agree. And that's one of those things that uh, in the Lions game, he did that a bunch. And that was yeah. a, it was a noticeable thing. He got Andrews open. On the, you just mentioned the deep over. But I remember watching that and thinking like, shit, that's not good. Because yeah, he's doing it on purpose. Yeah. And I think anytime, you know, it's like Teddy, I, I, I've been really impressed with his eyes. You know, to me, the eyes overall, they're the least coached thing from a quarterbacking perspective. Like my industry spends so much time talking about arm. And, you know, and, and I, I more or less think we, a lot of people create dry, I call them driving range quarterbacks. Like, Hey, they look great in shorts and t-shirt, but just get them in the game. Right. Like all my buddies who look great hitting the driver on the range. And then you get them on hole one and there's a house on the right. And then all of a sudden, for some reason they hit the house. Right. I, I think, you know, we're, we've got this thing where we're creating these, these guys that they're not, they're not playing quarterback. They're really good throwers. Yeah. Lamar is starting to play quarterback. And I don't think it's just this year. I think last year when I watched his tape, I could start to see, okay, this is where he's trending. And it's the thing that people take for granted with Mahomes, right? Everybody talks about the no look, which is cool, but Stafford's been doing that longer than him. But Mahomes with his eyes and some of these guys with their eyes are getting better. 
and they're catching up to those Aaron Rodgers and Brady and all those guys that have been doing this for a really long time. Agreed. And that's one of those things too. Uh, and again, this is like a tangent, but like when, when Mahomes after the first Super Bowl was saying like, Oh, like I'm, I'm still figuring out coverages. I think mm-hmm. that was kind of the, 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 the hill he was kind of like moving down. It was like, now that he's starting to get a better grasp of how the coverages works, he's doing a better job with his head and with his eyes to beat them. And that yeah. was what was scary. And everybody just ran with like, Oh, we didn't even know the coverages. Like guys, yeah. come on, come on. I think, what people take, you know, what what people don't understand is they think, you know, a lot of a lot, and, and this is even like high level coaches. Yeah, they think just because the quarterback looks to the right, the defense should respect it. Well, they don't, right? Because hey, if I have curl flat left side, why would I care that he's looking right? The 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 thing that you got to look for is it's not just manipulation. It's manipulation. It's knowing that I know that this defender is the curl flat guy, mm-hmm. and I know that I have curl flat on. And it's moving him specifically a couple feet left to then hit him right. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that when you slow down, you can really, and you can watch the clip a couple times, you start to notice about these guys, like you're saying about Mahomes. Mahomes always knew what cover three was, but to know the intricacies of how to stress a, you know, a cover three corner to the boundary versus the field versus the way this team plays three and the, and the way they read, those are the intricacies that, when you talk about Peyton Manning or you talk about the greatest guys that have ever played, that's what they do. It's not, Hey, I put my eyes right and then threw back left. Like, you know, that's the, you know, we were joking before this call, that's stuff my four-year-olds do, right? And my four-year-olds are dialed, but they don't know how to move a certain guy. Right. Yeah. But when you talk about that hall of fame level player, you talk about that guy who all of a sudden, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can make your guy, make your receivers open a little bit more. It's they're moving them within the structure of the overall, not only defense, but route combination. And that's, what's so special. It's what Lamar's starting to do. And, and, you know, if I, I don't want to sound like I'm just praising Lamar, cause honestly, it's what Teddy does. That's so impressive yeah. because Teddy moves people within the structure of it. And it's just, man. And you know, it, I I always like people always comment and they're like you you like sound like you it you like lo- like you're actually in love with football. I am. I'm like like I really am romantic about it. But there's something so special about when you when you just know everything about what's going on on the field, and it's fun to see these young quarterbacks that everyone has said, oh he's a good runner. It's like it's just so lazy because you can see the growth for him, yep. and I just think he's growing in that manner. Well, and one of the things about it to me, and this is, again, this is one of the reasons why I've always thought that Peyton Manning is the best, even before he joined the Broncos, but the, the level of mastery that the ability to check in and out was one thing. And obviously like, I appreciate that more after Madden because I do that in Madden. He inspired yep. me to, but, but the way he works his eyes, even after his arm was starting to fall apart, he was able to move a defender to the point where he was getting people open with his eyes. And that's yep. also what's so scary about Lamar being able to figure this out is because if he's able to, and again, like, Hopefully, you know, this Sunday is one thing, but like if he continues on this track, he could do that. But then he also has four, three speed and he's Barry Sanders. 
So yeah. like it, it, it becomes this point, And you mentioned this for your video is like, that he's kind of a cheat code and that yeah. you're always wrong. If he can do that with his eyes consistently and he can do a better job of keeping on his progressions, it's really, really hard to defend him because even if the coverage is right, and even if everybody's doing the right thing, he can still F you over. Yeah. Well, I think I talk about it like Drew Brees. Yeah. Drew Brees by and large was playing quarterback as if Lamar Jackson was left-handed, right? Like that's his arm strength equivalent last year. And he took his team to the divisional playoffs. Like, and we act like, oh, you know, they sucked against Tampa. It's like, they're still in the divisional round of the playoffs. Like there's how many people left? Eight on the planet? Like, that's fine. Like, and his arm was falling apart, but it's because he knew where to put his eyes. He knew how to open people up. And yeah, that's what makes Lamar fun to study is it's like, you know, I, I just, my biggest thing with Lamar is I really, when you, and this has been my, this is what I think happened to Cam Newton, to be frank. No, yeah, we've is, talked about think, this before, so I'm glad yeah, we're getting to this. Is you get the best kid on the playground and then you let it slide yeah. because he's making you right. Yep. And I really hope Lamar has someone in his corner who's just saying, man, I love everything you are, but what how'd you miss this bullet because i know you know this like because he does and he just needs someone pushing him and reinforcing how good he is as a quarterback and then saying but then what takes you to the hall of fame no one's ever seen it before level is that you can do this too but don't let them off the hook don't let them not play perfect coverage against you that would be my message if i was his coordinator if i was his coordinator it would be constant me saying don't you let them off the hook make them play perfect coverage, and then you go and put the dagger in their back. Because that's what hurts them. When you miss the bullet route for a touchdown and run for 30, the D coordinator is actually happy. Yep. It's when they cover the exchange perfectly on pepper stop F shallow bullet, and then you go and murder them for 30. That's the dagger that lets them know they can't do anything today. And that's what I would keep reinforcing. And I just hope that, I just like by and large hope people don't take advantage of the fact that they have the best kid on the playground, then don't coach him. Because I think it's what happened to Cam, unfortunately. And then I think he got to – I mean, he talks about it openly, about he got to New England, and it was like first time he'd ever been coached. Yep. And that's where part of me kind of wishes it would have worked there because I would have loved to see him in that. Same. Um, but, you know, I just hope there's someone in Lamar's corner because I really do think when I watch it, man, he's so close to where it's like now you have to play perfect coverage against him too, which is just a nightmare. And to, to that point, too, I think that's why what you mentioned with the Broncos pass rush, why it's it's completely apt, and I, I agree with you. Um, when I talked to Spencer earlier this week, he covers the Ravens like I do for uh, SB Nation's Baltimore beatdown, and he mentioned, like, watching Lamar, you know, game in, game out for his whole career, there's kind of, like, early in the game, you can kind of tell what kind of day it's going to be based on, like, is Lamar kind of settling into the pocket? Is he trying to set down and play quarterback, or is he trying to make stuff happen every play? Because yeah. if he's sitting down and getting comfortable in the pocket, it's going to be a really long day for the defense because then he is doing all that stuff. Yeah. But if he's getting kind of like a little, little tepid, little trying to get out of the pocket, trying to move. Well, then at that point you're dealing with him as a runner. And again, like that's scary too. Look, Vic Fangio yeah. called him Barry Sanders. But as to your point, I would rather he run for 30 yards and throw to Hollybird Brown for a yeah. touchdown. And I think that's why if I'm a D coordinator, I'm probably aggressive early. Like I'm trying to get him to feel feel that pocket a little bit more early. Because the last thing I want to do is back off and play coverage and then let him feel like he's comfortable. Yeah. So I'm probably heating him up early and then I'm probably settling more into my game plan 
you know, in that third or fourth drive. Yeah. Couple points on this I want to touch on and I want to ask you about your thoughts. First of all, with the pressure stuff, and I was thinking about this like kind of a couple minutes before we got on. Teams don't normally run a lot of stunts against the Ravens in part because mm-hmm. I think first of all, the running offense, because stunts obviously like they leave you kind of susceptible to being out of position. But the other part of it is all also like kind of screws up your rush lanes if somebody does yep. get blocked. The Broncos have been using a lot of stunts to help Malik Reed since Bradley Chubb got hurt. And again, like that is one of those things, you know, this is a tangent, but that's one of those reasons why when people are trying to say Malik Reed is better than Bradley Chubb, I kind of scoff. Um, yeah. I like Malik Reed a lot, but Malik Reed needs stunts to consistently generate pressure. Whereas Bradley Chubb can do it like Vaughn can, where you just rush him off the edge. He's going to win a lot. Um, so like, this does not seem to me like a week where Malik Reed will probably be a big factor. Um, maybe pressures, but I don't think he's going to get home, but the Broncos probably aren't going to run a lot of stunts. They're going to rely on the rush to get there, right? Yeah, I would assume so, and I would assume so just because how exotic their run game is. Yeah. Like, their run game, you know, for as simple as their pass game is, their run game is hyper, you know, from the way they pull and the the way they stress you with the sweet, the jet motion. Like, it's just very dialed in. Like, they're, they're basically a PhD-level run game and then, like, a, you know, bachelor, you know, or early college pass game right that's how they've structured their offense normally in the modern nfl it's flipped yeah but you see why like (laughs) they have guys popping and you know gashing people in the run game left and right so i would assume you're correct i would maybe see the twist like if they decide hey we don't care so much about our pass rush lanes like maybe third and long and they play zone coverage behind it so they can have eyes on lamar i wouldn't be surprised at but i would say you know early D &D, I definitely think they're gonna they're going to try it. They're probably, we're not going to see the same amount of stunts that we saw maybe against the Jets. And two, and again, you and I've talked about this a little bit before too, with the simplified passing game. I noticed that too. They're definitely, again, based even on the Broncos offense, the Broncos offense isn't the most complex offense in the league by any means, yep. but the, the, the Ravens definitely run more pared down in terms of like what they're trying to do. But it does seem like Greg Roman knows that teams are going to run a lot of cover three against them. Yep. And they definitely have a lot of concepts that they kind of try and go as like their go-to stuff when they need passing yards against what they think is going to be cover three. Uh, is there anything that kind of jumps out at you as like stuff the Broncos will probably see? Cause I, I would expect the Broncos, and again, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I would expect the Broncos to run a decent bit of cover three, probably six, maybe a little bit of man, but I, I feel like they're going to run a lot of zone to try and keep eyes on Lamar. Yeah, I agree about that. I think they'll try to play zone. I mean, they they might come out and fool both of us and just say, F it, we're going cover one. But I think you're going to see a lot of the same exact concepts you saw against the Lions. I don't think they change up their pass concepts. Okay. I think they run, you know, they run, we call it climb, but it's like the Broncos version of Jalapeno, but instead of the deep over, he starts shallow and then gets deep. It's because they're trying to get that safety to not account for him. Mm-hmm. So, but I think they're going to see that. I don't think their pass game innovates week in and week out. I think they dress it up formationally and personnel. Um, but I do think they're like, hey, listen, we think you're going to come out in this and this is what we run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll have like four or five new concepts, right? But they're, you know, they're one of the only teams that I've studied in the NFL where it was like, I've seen this concept four times today. Yep. Like usually you see it two or three times. But, you know, I, there were concepts that it's like, I've seen this four times. I've seen this three times. So they definitely have simplified their route concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's because they know they don't need it, right? I, I don't think it's like a, 
knock on any of their players. I just think they're like, listen, I don't need it. Let, we're going to run these really well. But you're so worried about the jet sweep motion that just came your way that we know you're not going to cover it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh. Kind of like the last, as far as the passing game part of this goes, the kind of like the last big thing that I think is kind of worth worrying about. Um, and again, we already talked about the deep over, so I don't want to like really hammer that home. But the Ravens also, obviously, with Lamar, their RPO game, their play action game yeah. is going to be a nightmare. And the fact is, and again, listeners, if you don't already know this, uh, Justin Sternod's making his second start, Patrick Sertan is making his third start. Uh, I mean, the Broncos are young, like in, in some key spots. And we have Kane Stearns playing dime this week, probably. And again, I don't know even how much we'll see dime because the Ravens do go really heavy with their personnel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we will probably see a lot of three, four um, and probably penny personnel. Um, guys, if you guys have listened to my episode with coach Bass or Cody Alexander, that's like the bear front the Broncos use where they bring, essentially it looks like a six um, and they'll have a backer back. I, can, I, I would think that when they're running cover uh, 22 personnel with two tight ends, two backs, we'll see a lot of that. But if they go to dime, like Caden Stearns has played, I, th- I want to say he's played 40 snaps on defense. So like young players may be getting read this week as, and that could be big. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, their RPO stuff is great. I think to me, what scares me the most as a D coordinator is the way they jet motion and then they fake outside zone. So your yeah. alley player has to come down, which is your safety in quarters. And then they throw behind it. Like that to me is the hardest look to defend because you have to come up and account for outside zone against these guys. And even if they don't run outside zone and they run Lamar follow, it's even worse, right? Where he rides it and then he decides he's going to run the outside zone. So to me, it's like that I think is the look that would be giving me nightmares if I was a D coordinator. Um, And that's where it's like, man, you know, that's where it's hard for me to say, you know, cover four is great. Now the cover two side and bad. Um, But it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a tough matchup for our defense. Like, let's be honest, you know, they haven't faced an explosive offense yet. No. And this is, this is going to be a real test. And like, if, if we're calling a spade a spade, the Jags, you know, their scripted stuff worked, right? Like when they were on script, they went down and scored, you know, um, I think the Giants kind of got some cheap ones on them, to be honest. Uh, and I don't think the Jets moved the ball. But, you know, this is the, this is a different challenge. So I do think everybody on defense kind of got to be dialed in because this is a uh, – just the way they can stress that quarter safety with the outside look and then throw behind it to a tight end who might be one of the better tight ends in football. It's just so hard. And then not to mention, hey, your corner's not going to help you because Hollywood Brown's trying to run by him. So it's like – there are just so many layers to it that, that are really, it's tough to defend. I agreed. Uh, kind of, kind of before I get you, you know, in terms of like your prediction, I want to touch on just a little bit with the running game stuff, just because again, like that's going to be a huge part of the day. And the Ravens running game is essentially an elite passing offense. It's like from an efficiency standpoint, that's how it kind of plays out. Um, I mean, they, the read part of it, in and of itself is a nightmare in my mind, because it isn't just for listeners. It's not just read option. Like you'll hear, you know, reporters talking about, Oh, it's read option. The Ravens run, like, as you said, a PhD version of it. Like they run counter bash. They run bash sweep. They run inverted veer. Like they, they can read any player in the front if they want to. And so in that way, like, like I want to say it was Mike Kliss who was like, Oh, they're going to probably read Von Miller. Like how crazy is that? It's like, no, it actually makes a lot of sense because, yeah. Patrick McCarry can't block Von Miller. 
Um, their yeah. right tackle, now that Ronnie Stanley's out, they moved Alejandro Villanueva to left tackle. Their right tackle, he's a guy. Like, And I'm not trying to be a hater on him, but he has 31-inch arms. Yeah. And he's a former guard. Like, he's not a guy you want leaving alone against Von Miller. So the best way you can do is use Lamar to make Von wrong and make him, Von have to think. Um, but yeah, they can do that crazy. everybody. No, not it's at all. It's not crazy. Whenever, I mean, college football is built on reading their best defender. So, you know, you would read, you would read Von Miller. What I, what I, what I want to allow, what I want to touch on too, and just reinforce is what you're talking about, about they can read any defender and they can also hit you on any side of the formation with it, which is crazy. Like you're talking about the counter bash stuff. So to me, it's like, that's the problem. And that everybody's really got to look for is it's not only right. Like you're saying they can read anybody, but like you're talking about the exotic stuff that they run off of it. It's a nightmare because it's not traditional. Hey, you got your back this way. And then your quarterback this way, and it's just all zone. Like, that's not what you're getting. And it's not what you grew up playing on NCAA zone read, right? It's 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 a whole different version. And then not to mention, oh, by the way, they're going to make you think they're reading you. And then the tight end's going to come and ear hole you because he's on a slider. Like, that's the other thing that we got to take for granted. You know, if I'm coaching those guys, I'm coaching them to attack the mesh and just live with being wrong this week. But – Maybe, you know, hitting Lamar every time would be about the, the thing that I think you got to scheme up. Well, I mean, and that's one of those things with his back, too. Like, I, I definitely think if you can get hits on Lamar, this is like the week. It makes sense to do it, to try and. Yeah. And again, like, I'm not rooting for injury. I know you're not either. But it's like one yeah. of those things, like, you don't root for injury. But it's like, dude, like, you kind of have to, like, you know, quote, unquote, like, behead the monster. And that's, like, yeah. how you have to do it. They're not the same offense if Lamar's not the rushing threat he is every week. Yeah, you just have, and you have to wear him down with body shots, right? Like. It doesn't matter what quarterback it is. The point of getting hits on him is so that the ball comes out a half second earlier. Like that's the point of, of any of them. And then you compound that, Hey, he's a good runner. That's the point of hitting a running back, right? You, you hit, you, you cut down Derrick Henry a bunch because you hope that he's not as good in the fourth quarter. So like Lamar Jackson, just both of them. He's, 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 he's a really good running back and a damn good quarterback. So you definitely want to get hits on him. Last part of it. Uh, I kind of want to put you on the spot. The Broncos win if, like, dot, dot, dot. What do you think kind of, like, has to play out for Denver to come out ahead? I think the Broncos win if Teddy Bridgewater is – if Teddy Bridgewater and the receivers are 50% on their 50-50 ball. Like, if they if they really do win half of them and Teddy takes his shots that he's going to have against cover zero and cover one, the Broncos win. And I don't think – you know, I'm not sure it's close because I do think – there's a chance the Broncos can run away with it. If it's any perspective, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm, I'm betting Broncos money line because I do think, you know, there's a realistic sh- opportunity that we're back talking and the Ravens won 31 to seven, right? Like that, I could see that happening, but you know, I could see the Broncos presenting their own fits to this Baltimore offense. And I could see the Denver offense kind of rolling and finding the matchup that they want to where now all of a sudden it feels like Denver kind of controls this game or or the ball or Baltimore's playing from behind. You know, like as much as I love the Kansas City win for Baltimore, there was a drive that the Chiefs got the ball on their own 50 and they're about to go up like 17. Yep. That if they just don't run some they ran some idiotic like fake jet sweep toss. If they just don't run that play and they run a normal drop back pass, the Chiefs might win that game by 20. Instead, the whole game changes because they stuff, they get a turnover, they go score. Now, all of a sudden, it's a three-point game. It was going to be a 17-point game. Yep. And it's like, you know, I, I, they're good. 
I'm not trying to say they're not good, but I do think there's a way that Denver controls this game. And, and, and I honestly see it happening because I think Denver's just as pissed off as their fans are about everyone saying you're three and oh, but, yeah. and I think that's going to play to advantage. And I think mile high is going to be ruckus. And, you know, there's times where I wonder if the Baltimore receivers are busting concepts. And if you can start to, you know, <laughs> get to where communication breaks down in the huddle, I don't know. I, I think there's a way that this plays out really big for Denver. It'd be awesome. Uh, it would be right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's one. And again, like this is the, the matchup part of it though, too, that you touch on that things start to snowball your way and you take advantage. This could be a really big statement win for the Broncos. Kind of like, Hey, we're real. We're back. Um, I'm hoping for it. They can't afford to have a fumble on the, in the red zone. They can't, you know, that kind of stuff this week. That's to me, that's those are the things that they have to clean up is there have been some drives that it's like self-inflicted is the why you're walking away with no points. Um, you know, the Broncos do have to play. I don't want to say perfect, but they have to play a good game on offense. Um, and they just, they can't hurt themselves in the red zone, like you're saying, which, and they've done a little bit, but I do think, there's some fluke aspect to Agreed. how things have shaken out, but it, you know, it's the same thing, right? At what point does a fluke become a habit? And and I don't know that answer, but hopefully we don't see it in week four. <laughs> Great. Hopefully it's a good game. So uh, thank you so much again for joining me guys. Again, if you do not follow Tim on Twitter, he is at T Jenkins elite. Go follow all things QB. I do. I take notes when I'm listening to his breakdowns. Uh, yeah. Go follow his stuff. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me on. Go Broncos.